For those who have battled their way out of sexual addiction at some level, we've spent a lot of energy fighting through to, to that place of victory. And once we feel we've achieved it, we're kind of prone then to wanting to just relax and rest on our laurels. But in order to maintain that victory, we actually have to keep fighting. We've got to stay in that mode. The things that worked in the beginning will continue to work and carry us through. You know, we're all still vulnerable. Hey, all. Guess what? This is the final episode in our Victory Series. Thanks for joining us. In this show, we're going to look at some of the fruits that will come out of our lives as we learn to live in the spirit of God's mercy. Fruits like purity, gratitude, humility, and the knowledge of God. Plus, we'll talk about the importance of persevering in a godly life. King Solomon is an example of someone who started well, but finished badly. And his life will reveal some of the pitfalls that await anyone who wants to live a life that is pleasing to God. This is Purity for Life. Stay with us. We're going to start off this episode by talking with Pastor Steve Gallagher about the fruits of living in victory. Pastor Steve, in the first episode of this series, we were trying to give people a concise look at what it means to actually live in victory. And we were telling them that victory is much deeper and more glorious than what most people are looking for. You know, victory isn't just about not looking at porn anymore, or visiting prostitutes, or fill in the blank. Victory is being filled with the love of God, because it's the love of God that changes our hearts and gives us something completely new inside. It's, it's the love of God that bears the fruits of righteousness. And so I want to talk about the fruits of living in victory today. And Obviously, the first thing that people are looking for in terms of fruit is purity, sexual purity. And it's kind of funny because we haven't talked about that a whole lot in this series, but that's what people are really wanting. Mm -hmm. I'd like for you to talk about that purity of heart because I wonder if some people are thinking, is it really even possible to live in purity in this immoral culture? Yeah, well, regardless of the culture, <laughs> having a pure heart is a mega challenge, uh -huh. especially when you've been in sexual sin. Right. But we need to clarify something about this when okay. we're talking about purity. Because we have a fallen nature. Right. And as I've said many times, my fallen nature is just as rotten now as it was 40 years ago when uh -huh. I was totally giving over. Uh -huh. It has not changed. It still desires the same horrible things. Right. So when you're talking about purity of heart, you know, you've got this aspect of our nature right. that is horrible. I mean, uh -huh. it's just perverse and wants perversity. Right. So that's one of the challenges I think a lot of guys struggle with is like, if I've 
man, I don't feel like I've gotten anywhere in this battle because I still have I, these thoughts, I still have these desires. Exactly. Right. You know, those things are still there. So, and I talked about it recently um, about autopilot, for instance. Um, when you go into that lapse in thinking, when you're not really intentionally thinking, you're just kind of almost like daydreaming. Uh-huh. And then if you're in the right place with God and you're daydreaming or fantasizing about sex and you come to your senses and realize what you've been doing, ah, you know, there's this reaction inside. No, I don't want to think like that. You right, know? Right. And I still go through that. You know, we've got that side to us that's a it's a, almost a default thinking yep. in perversity. Right. All right. So purity in heart, from my standpoint, having understood that, is that you are no longer intentionally hmm. lusting, intentionally fantasizing. You know, you've got that – what the Bible talks about intentional sins and unintentional mm-hmm. sins, and I would call that an unintentional sin – Wet dreams, or you know that kind of thinking mm-hmm. when you're, when you're not really thinking. Uh-huh. But there's intentional thoughts, and and I believe that I am basically living in purity of heart because I don't intentionally lust. Mm-hmm. I don't intentionally fantasize. I don't intentionally look at women to think about sexual things. Right. So yes, I believe that as you are progressing in this life of mercy which is really just the Christ life, Mm -hmm. then you will get to a place where you have that kind of freedom Mm -hmm. in your daily life. Okay, so one thing I know you've said in your book, At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry, is that this freedom comes slowly for a reason. Or maybe, I wonder if you could say this purity of heart comes slowly for a reason. Um, You already kind of spoke about how that process of purity will grow in us over time, but why does it grow slowly for a reason? Well, for, you know, for a number of reasons, like I talked about in the book at, at the altar of sexual idolatry, you know, some of the main important things the Lord needs to do, for instance, humbling us because <laughs> right. pride is an enormous thing uh-huh. inside of a an unbroken person. So that's like one of the most important things he wants to tackle uh-huh. is getting us to humble ourselves and if we if he just gave us freedom right away, we would just use it for self purposes yeah. to exalt ourselves yeah. against you know and over other people. Uh-huh. I mean, I'll just leave it at that. That alone okay. is one huge reason why God doesn't give us instantaneous deliverance, yeah, or instantaneous you know clear thinking. Yeah. So the main point for that is just never quit fighting. Yeah. Really. That is the Christian life, absolutely. Okay, so you're saying that we can really get to the place where we're not driven by lust anymore. Yeah, I am saying that. I'm saying, you know, first of all, that we're no longer purposing intentionally to think that way. Uh But even a step before that is that drive inside Uh for you know, sexual gratification. And I would say one of the real important aspects of that is learning how to live with a grateful spirit, a grateful Uh heart. You know, when you're going through life and the Lord's doing his work inside you and you're becoming increasingly more grateful about everything Mm. in your life, that is just breaking 
the hold of lust uh-huh. because it's bringing you into a, a place of contentment. And when you're content, you're not lusting for something you shouldn't uh-huh. have. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is the opposite. You know, lust is the opposite of contentment. And contentment comes from gratitude. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it really is part of a flow that the Lord is wanting to bring us into to live with a grateful heart. You know, Paul constantly said, be grateful or thankful for everything. Uh-huh. It's a very important part of Christian living that most people don't realize. Yeah, You know, they'll sing their praise songs, but are they really singing those songs out of gratitude? Uh-huh. You know, yeah, I'm not convinced. <laughs> Um, Yeah, it's interesting that you talked about the connections that people make, and they don't really connect gratitude with purity and victory. Another one is just humility, Hmm. where we don't really understand the connection between humility and living in victory. And Rex Andrews said something really interesting. He said that humility is an inability to lust or to covet, because essentially humility is the knowledge of how to give all that you have and knowing that you don't have anything apart from God. Could you maybe talk a little bit more about humility and victory and the fruit of that? Yeah, well, to get to that place, let me just start with addressing a misunderstanding about what humility even is, Okay, because it's typically thought of in the same way we would think of a modest person, someone who's quiet and reserved Uh by nature. Uh Oh, he's such a humble man. And, you know, from my experience, people like that are sometimes the most prideful people because they may not show it outwardly, Uh but inside they're full of themselves Uh and, and just only think about themselves. And that's all they care about. Yeah. So when we're talking about humility from a spiritual standpoint, we're not talking about human modesty. We are talking about the breaking down of the self-life. And as the self-life is broken down through the processes of sanctification and the Holy Spirit's work inside of us, that creates more of a vacuum, if I could put it that way, Hmm. inside for the Holy Spirit to fill. Hmm. So, you know, the more broken we become in life through disciplines, through hardships, through humiliating experiences sometimes, all those kinds of things that thwart the self-life, the more we are in that process, the more free we are getting from that selfish existence mm. that lust thrives in. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's what Rex Andrews is referring to is being emptied of self. Really, it's poverty of spirit, and that makes way to be filled with the Lord and with his kind of thinking, uh-huh. which is, of course, opposite mm-hmm. of lustful thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting as you're talking because what I hear is that it's not really we think so linearly you know if mm-hmm. i do this then i get this yeah but it's more circular the more you live in gratitude the more you experience gratitude or the more pure in heart you are the more purity you experience it's just kind of like a circular thing and um, it's all interconnected too you know i mean we're not like robots that you just <laughs> go in and fix one part of yeah, it yeah right you know and no we're it's all interchanged and interconnected and all of that yeah yeah So let's bring it back to purity in heart, because Jesus said that blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they shall see God. And can you just talk about the fruit of this mercy life, which is a deeper walk and knowledge of God? Yeah, I would say that knowing God is what the Christian life is primarily all about. It's relationship. And, I mean, that's what Jesus said. He said, this is eternal life, knowing God. Mm -hmm. And it's true, you know. And Paul talked constantly about knowing the Lord. And, of course, in the Old Testament, in Psalms especially, you hear it a little differently, seeking the Lord. It's Mm. all different ways of Mm. describing the same thing, having an earnest, sincere desire inside you to really know him. Mm -hmm. And to know him means relationship. It's not like reading a book about someone. It's relational. And um, that connection with God, I mean, that is the ultimate fruit, really, of um, this process that God takes his people through. He is bringing them into himself. He's folding them in to himself. And that is eternal life. It's the life of God that he's bringing us into. And uh, like you say, we think logically with human logic, but Uh some of these things you just can't figure out with human logic. This is a deeply spiritual, deeply profound, uh, mysterious concept of what it means to be in relationship with God. And we've turned it in the church into this mechanical formula. You say the prayer, you know, you go to church. It's just all this outward stuff. Uh And there's no real reality to God in so much of what happens in the evangelical church. Many people who claim to know God really don't know him. Mm. But that is his heart, is to bring us into himself. Let's talk about one last thing that you uh, have mentioned from time to time, that one of the fruits of victory is living in spiritual authority. And I'm not sure that people even maybe know what you mean by spiritual authority. Can you just talk about what that means and why that's a fruit of living in victory? Well, all spiritual authority comes from the throne of God, you know, and uh, he is the sovereign God of the universe, of all mankind, and to walk in spiritual authority can mean only one thing, that you are a delegated agent of the king. And you're an agent of the king to the degree that you are in his spirit, in the sense of you are one with his will, you Mm -hmm. are one with his purposes in what he's wanting to do on earth. And it's, you know, like, for instance, you have the president of the United States and he has an ambassador to uh, Russia or mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. Well, that a- ambassador is living in a complete Russian culture, but he is there representing the president of the United States. And he is there on his, uh, the president's whim and wish and what he wants him to accomplish and what he wants him to communicate Uh to the Russian authorities. That's a picture of what it means to have spiritual authority is when you are one with Christ in a real way. And when you talk and you represent him, you are doing it accurately and consistent with what his wishes are. Hmm. 
Hmm. That's spiritual authority. Yeah. And it's absolutely something that we can come into and should come into at some level. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how we can kind of understand it by looking at the converse because we know what it means to be at the whim and the wish of the devil. Yeah. We live that way. Like if he wants us to lust, we lust. If he wants us Mm. to be in pride or anger or bitterness, we're just driven by those things. What a wonderful thought that we could be uh, driven and compelled by a much, well, not much sweeter spirit, The you know, the (laughs) sweet spirit. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's kind of funny to me thinking back 40 years ago, just in my pride and in my just ignorance, I really thought that I was walking in spiritual authority. You know, when I first was getting free and stuff uh-huh. like that, I was so full of myself. I didn't know the first thing about it, hardly anything. Okay. You know, but I do remember just how easily I could be led astray or led into sinful thinking and all of that, just exactly what you're describing. And all these years and all that the Lord has put us through, uh, meaning Kathy and me, you know, just so many times I've had to go through very painful experiences. I thank him for all of it now, of course, you know, it wasn't so much fun at the time, but um, but it is through those kinds of disciplines that the Lord takes us, those seasons that is bringing us into a life in God that's real, a relationship with him that is vibrant, and into the kind of spiritual authority that we're talking about. It is through those experiences that God accomplishes that in his people. Jesus tells us in Revelation chapter 3 that he's coming soon and that we should hold on to the things that we have so that our crown won't be taken away from us. So, to those who persevere in the mercy life, there is a crown of victory for us. But remember, living in victory implies that life is a battle. There's spiritual wars to be fought, and there's enemies to be overcome. Pastor Ed Book is with me in the studio now, and Pastor Ed, I assume that most of our podcast listeners are people who are struggling with sexual sin, but we've really been trying to gear these last few episodes to those people who have really taken this series seriously and already made significant steps toward victory. And what we want to do today is help people understand what it's going to take to finish well, and we're going to do that by looking at King Solomon's failures. When you look at King Solomon's life, what is one of the notable failures that we should be watching for in our own lives? Well, Nate, I think it's worth pointing out, first of all, that Solomon really did start well. I mean, he started Mm. really well. It says uh, right there in 1 Kings 3 that Solomon loved the Lord, Mm. and we sometimes forget that. He Uh loved the Lord, and then the Lord appeared to him and asked him what he wanted to receive, and Solomon very humbly told the Lord that he was just like a little child who didn't know how to come out or go in, and he wasn't up to the task of being king over so many people, Uh, so Solomon Mm. 
Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom, and it says the Lord was very pleased with Solomon's wow. request and promised to make him the wisest man who had ever lived. Uh-huh. So, so he started really well. But somewhere along the way, things started to go awry for Solomon, so that by late in his life, he was worshiping pagan gods. Yep. He had become extremely cynical uh, yep. and, and just miserably concluded that everything was vanity, yeah. you know, just a grasping for the wind. So one of the major reasons that I believe Solomon fell away from the Lord like that was his pursuit of wealth. Hmm. You know, he'd built the temple in the first seven and a half years of his kingdom, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but then he spent the next 13 years building his own palace. And, mm-hmm. and this palace complex was just the first of many of those kinds of building projects that were completed at Solomon's mm-hmm. direction. You know, Solomon oversaw a vast commercial empire that would have made him like the Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett of his day. Sure. In, in fact, he he would have had no peer. He would be like, you know, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, Bill <laughs> right, Gates, yeah, all yeah. those guys rolled into one, okay. you know. And so he had this big import business going on with horses and chariots from Egypt, fine jewelry and linens and rare spices uh-huh. and exotic animals from all over the world. He decorates his palace with fine 500 gold shields. He eats from golden plates, drinks from golden cups, sits on a golden throne. You know, scripture literally says that Solomon made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones. And in fact, silver, it says later, was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. Hmm. Now, Nate, none of us are likely to amass the kind of wealth that Solomon was able to accumulate. Mm -hmm. But our heart can be just as corrupt as Solomon's was in pursuing wealth. Mm -hmm. Many of us struggle with materialism. You know, we Mm -hmm. have our focus on obtaining comforts and luxuries. You know, we probably just think of them as like, you know, we like nice things. Sure. Uh, But a lot of us also alongside that have this emphasis on vacations and travel or uh accumulating money toward our retirement. And those kinds of pursuits are able to have the same spiritual impact on us that Solomon's wealth had on him, and they end up distracting us from our relationship with the Lord. Yeah, yeah. It's as you're talking about that, I'm just thinking about some of the the biblical warnings about that kind of thing. You know, Jesus and the apostles are really frank with us. Those things have the yeah. actual ability to draw our heart away from the Lord, and if we don't listen, then we're gonna fall. That's right. Um, right. What was another of the failures of Solomon you think we should be wary of? Yeah, without a doubt, I think his biggest problem was giving himself over to the pursuit of pleasure. Mm. Uh, In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it it has this uh, description there in Solomon's own words where he's talking about his pursuit of pleasures. And, you know, he describes planting vineyards and gardens and orchards and acquiring male and female servants Mm -hmm. and great numbers of herds and flocks and for entertainment, acquiring male and female singers and musical Mm -hmm. instruments. And it just goes on and on, you know, talking about all this stuff. And at the end, he literally confesses, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Mm. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. And, you know, as if that weren't bad enough, on top of all that, it appears that sexual pleasure really dominated Solomon's Uh life, leading him to accumulate 700 wives and 300 concubines. 
And this pursuit of pleasure, it didn't just distract Solomon like maybe his pursuit of wealth mm. did. Solomon's pursuit of pleasure led him completely astray. Mm. And that is one of the things that pursuit of pleasure will do for any of us, even mm-hmm. today. You know, I think there are at least three things we really have to be aware of uh, when it comes to pursuing pleasure because it can keep us focused on our feelings. Mm. Uh, you know, it boils down to this, Nate, pleasure is a feeling. And when I make the pursuit of that feeling one of the chief aims in my life, mm. I've automatically elevated feelings into a dominant role yeah. in my life then. Yeah. And another thing that it does, pursuing pleasure keeps the flow of our life on getting instead yeah. of giving, yeah. which is, of course, the very opposite of the way Jesus taught us to live. Yeah. And a third thing is that pleasure keeps our affection set on the things of this world. Right. We're very focused on what we are possessing and accumulating and experiencing here in this yeah. world. And we simply can't resist the pull of the world when yeah. pleasure and experiencing pleasure is so important to us. Mm. Um, so you look at Solomon, here we have this man who starts his life, or at least his, his reign, consecrating the temple of the Lord, mm-hmm. and at the end he's a shameless idolater yeah. because he didn't restrain his pursuit of pleasure. And that kind of disobedience is inevitable when mm-hmm. we exalt pleasure more than godliness. Like Solomon, all of us will soon be willing to disobey even the clearest commands of the Lord in yeah. exchange for pleasure. Yeah. Man, this stuff is so good. And I think, you know, somebody who's listening to our podcast and who has really repented of sexual sin, that's going to resonate. They're, <laughs> they're going to be able to say, yeah, that is exactly it. That's what my old life was like. Yeah. And now they're wanting to totally turn away from that kind of life. But what we're saying to them is that they still need to be on guard because it's possible even now to go back to that kind of life. So exactly. what is it that we need on the inside that will keep us from going back where we won't even – where we would, like you said, just blatantly disobey even God's clearest commandments? Yeah, we we definitely need a couple things on the inside, and one of those things is lowliness. It's mm. our pride that says things like, you know, well, I wouldn't be like Solomon. You know, mm. I, I would listen to those warnings from uh-huh. the Lord and stuff. It's our pride that thinks we're somewhere we really aren't spiritually. Okay. It's our pride that thinks we know and, and even, you know, convinces us uh, many times that we know better than God knows mm. uh, for us, what's mm-hmm. best for us. Mm-hmm. And so all that pride needs to be overcome and the lowliness of Christ needs to take its place. Uh-huh. So, so that's one thing. And another thing clearly is the Holy Spirit. You yeah. know, he is the one who's going to prick our conscience, kind of poke us with a little conviction uh-huh. when we're getting off track. And, and he's also the one who brings those fruits, the meekness, the self-control mm-hmm. that we need to be at work in our lives. So – we have to keep our ears attuned to the Holy Spirit's voice mm-hmm. inside of us. He will guide us in the paths of righteousness mm-hmm. if we let him. Yeah. Uh, and I guess, you know, a final thing I might mention here, Nate, is we need to learn to walk in repentance uh, mm. for those times when we fail. Yep. You know, there are yep. going to be some failures, hopefully not, you know, you know wild <laughs> off the rails or something in, in our sin, but there are going to be some failures and we need to 
just quickly recognize those shortcomings, go to the cross and yep. repent of them yep. there, and then immediately get back on track. Mm-hmm. Uh, repentance needs to become a lifestyle for us because that unrepentant sin dulls our mm-hmm. hearing quicker mm-hmm. than just about anything else we can have. And it makes it impossible after a while for us to even hear God's mm-hmm. warnings, let alone receive them as like God's loving warnings sure. for us. Yeah. One thing I'm thinking about as you're talking about this is the fallacy that as I mature in the Christian life, I should be able to handle more, mm. you know? So, mm-hmm. oh, the, the more mature I get, the more I should be able to do and indulge myself and enjoy life. But that's actually not true because when you look at the testimony of mature believers, usually what they're saying is, I deny myself more, yeah. not less. Yeah. And I heard you say recently in a in a meeting that a lot of people think that the Christian life should get easier as it goes along, but you said that it'll actually get harder, and we should expect it to get harder. What did you mean by that? Yeah, what I meant by that was what you were just alluding to, I think, Nate, that you know, as we advance in our Christian walk, our personal conviction should grow. Mm-hmm. And, and so things get a little tighter mm-hmm. ar- around us. You know, mm-hmm. I often use the example of music just to try and help people see what that looks like because, you know, when I first came to the Lord, you know, I had just blatantly secular music that I was into and, okay. you know, and, and early on, somewhere along the line, I understood that that was just not right anymore mm-hmm. and I needed to get rid of that. So okay. I you know, hauled a bunch of it out to the dumpster and, and it right. got rid of it, you know. But, you know, as I kept going on in my walk with the Lord, uh, there have been at least two other times I've carried music out to the dumpster okay. and tossed it in because over time I just realized that things that seemed acceptable at first weren't really feeding my spirit in the sure. end. They were feeding my flesh. Sure. And for me, I just needed to get rid of them. You uh-huh. know? And so that sort of thing should be happening in our lives in lots of areas. You know, m- the movies we watch, the books we read uh-huh. or things we read, the the stuff we l- allow into our house, even uh-huh. catalogs and okay. uh, some of those sorts of things. You know, we need to constantly evaluate and tighten up those boundaries um, as we become more and more consecrated Mm, to the Lord, mm -hmm. the things that don't have a clearly positive impact on Mm. my spiritual life end up just needing to be cut Mm -hmm, off, you mm -hmm. know. And I think, uh, you know, you asked me what I meant by things getting harder, and there is another side to it that I'll just mention because in Galatians 6, 9, for example, it says, do not grow weary in doing good. Mm, mm -hmm. Uh, In other words, don't get tired, don't get discouraged, don't don't give up. But the reason we have this admonition in Scripture is because that's exactly what we're prone to do, yeah. just get tired and quit. Totally. You know, we get tired of fighting our sin nature, tired of fighting our corrupt desires, tired of denying self. Yeah. And especially when we look around and it seems like everybody else gets away with catering to their self-life. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh-huh. yeah. So for those who have kind of, you know, battled their way out of sexual addiction at some level, we've spent a lot of energy fighting through to, to that place of victory. Uh-huh. And once we feel we've achieved it, we're kind of prone then to wanting to just relax it's and rest so on true. our laurels. Yeah. Yeah. But in order to maintain that victory, we actually have to keep fighting. We've got okay. to stay in that mode. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. The things that worked in the beginning will continue to work and carry us right. through uh, and solidify that victory. Uh, you know, We're all still vulnerable, but uh, it's like the enemy when he tempted Jesus there in the wilderness in Luke's gospel, it says he left 
left him at the end of it for a more opportune mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And for many of us, that opportune time is when we're tired yeah. <laughs> uh, and the enemy just wants to show up and really come at us in that yeah. season. What would you say to someone who, it's not necessarily sexual sin, but they're just discouraged in general and they just want to know, like, how can I keep going on? Yeah. You know, I guess the short answer that I have to that question is you just need a bigger God. You know, mm. you know certainly God is big enough to sustain you. He's, mm-hmm. He is big enough to bring all of us through to victory, to a complete victory. Mm-hmm. But we need to see him that way. Mm. And we need to have our eyes fixed on him instead Mm -hmm. of our circumstances, our difficulties, our struggles, all that sort of thing. And if I, you know, think in particular about the audience you mentioned for today's episode that, you know, these guys uh, who have fought through and Mm -hmm. are in some degree, they're experiencing victory. They just need to persevere. I think there's probably two things I would maybe want to share because there are two areas that I see in general under pretty severe attack that are critical to persevering in that scenario. And one of them is adhering to God's word as truth. You know, in Colossians 2, we're warned not to let anyone cheat us through vain, deceitful philosophies, those things that are rooted in the traditions of men and the basic principles of this world. But actually, there are just so many of those philosophies out there, and they have infiltrated the church. And so when it comes to dealing with people's behavior, personal problems, you know, we have this humanistic psychology that has literally supplanted the Word of God as truth. And and we have to remember it's the truth that sets us free, Mm. and God's Word Mm. is that truth, and the truth is going to win out. So, you know, I want to tell you to do all you have to do or need to do to cling to God's Word as your truth. Mm. Uh, And the second thing would be staying plugged into and connected to a vibrant body of believers. You know, it's gotten very common and popular today to even just do church online and and things like that. But we have Hebrews 10.25 telling us straight out, you know, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together and all the more as we see the day of Christ's return approaching. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it just seems to me, Nate, that we're just not heeding this instruction. Uh, You know, we... Like I said, we have people settling for church online, but, or, but even those who are attending church, they're not necessarily mm-hmm. developing meaningful relationships right, and right. heart-to-heart connections with the body of believers. And it just, as things accelerate toward evil in these mm-hmm. last days, we're going to need one another more and more. You know, We're not going to make it on our own. There aren't going to be these Lone Ranger Christians mm-hmm. who survive. So we need to press in with the Lord, continue to cling to his word as our truth, stay plugged in into a healthy church, and we can trust the Lord to bring us through to victory. The youngest of five, I grew up in a home without any real structure. I discovered self-gratification at a very early age in the sight of a woman from a friend's father who had a stack of magazines. Throughout my early years, I had been molested and began to question my own sexuality. Life was very confusing through these years, even suicidal. Turning to criminal activity, I plunged deeper and deeper in my sin. A week after high school, I joined the army to escape life I was leading and all those around me, but my lust for women only increased throughout the years. Stain and guilt 
had been my life. In the next 20 years of marriage, I began to live a double life. I learned how to manipulate and deceive people quickly. I became the master at this game, and so how I loved it. Traveling the country because of my job only fueled my affairs. Because the lust for women was beginning to take its toll with three failed marriages, I found myself at a place called Pure Life Ministry. I, of course, thought to myself, what did I get myself into? Still being completely selfish, I isolated myself from people. However, the Lord met me in my weakness, and I rededicated myself to Him. Before coming to PLM, I had moved over 34 times. Never really had an opportunity to make real friends. Today here at PLM, I can honestly say I've made some lifelong friends. I've learned what repentance is. It's the power to turn from anything and everything. It's the beginning of the gospel. I've come to realize that we need the blood for forgiveness and the cross for deliverance. There is power in the blood. And to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, because I have an anointing from the Holy One and need to live by it. Working at Chick-fil-A has been the most humbling experience in my life. When my manager asked me to take out the trash for the first time, she had crossed my will. <laughs> I thought I was above all that. After all, I'm a computer hacking forensics investigator. Surely she must have missed the memo. I mean, do you know who I am? <laughs> and so with that, I began to pray, Lord, I confess, I don't like it, but please don't give in to me. Just wait, Lord, and I will give in to you. Then the Lord put a song in my heart. It was, I surrender all. It truly did become my pleasure. <laughs> As I mentioned, I struggled countless decades with self-gratification. I stand here before you testifying that I'm a free man from the bondage that once held me captive. Oh, hallelujah, how it feels to be free. My greatest desire now is to pursue my Savior. Besides accepting God's mercy, it includes accepting His methods. Coming to God to receive His forgiveness, I surrender to Him. I must live the way God intended, and when change is necessary, I must be willing to give up what He wants me to give up and become what He wants me to become. Luke 9:23. If anyone would come after me and deny himself, he would take up his cross daily and follow me. I want to thank my Lord and Savior for pursuing me even in my darkest hours. My life is yours, Lord. Amen. Over the last 20 weeks, we've been aiming at one thing helping you to see that a life lived in the flow of God's mercy will bring about a life of real victory. That's what everything in this series has been geared toward. So when we talked about the evil of sexual sin, it was to help you stop blaming other people for your sins and just take full responsibility for what you've done and what you've become. But why? So that you could humbly come to the God of mercy. And when we talked about the character of God, it was because we wanted you to have truth in your arsenal. But why? So that unbelief wouldn't be able to stop you from asking God to have mercy. And when we talked about our helplessness to live this life, 
It was because we wanted you to forget the notion that you could help yourself. But why? So that you would run to God with confidence that he would do it in you. And when we talked about surrender, it's because we wanted to help you see that we have a part to play in this. Our part is to throw up the white flag. No more bargaining, just unconditional surrender to the will of God. But why? So that you could learn to give yourself to his merciful will. I could say so much more in reflection on what we've covered in this series, but here's the bottom line. God's will, God's passion, God's desire is to transform your life into the likeness of Jesus Christ. He wants your life to be filled with the riches of his glory in your inner man so that you experience the reality of God's love and are filled up with his fullness. I hope by this point you've just completely thrown away the idea that real victory is about stopping some unwanted behaviors. I hope that your goal is set way above and beyond that. I hope that now you want deliverance from all selfishness so that you can live a life of self-sacrificing love. I hope that you want to be just set free from pride and anger and bitterness so that you can live in humility, compassion, and forgiveness. Ultimately, I hope that you really just want to overcome sin and self by allowing the powerful, fiery love of God to dwell in your heart. These are the kinds of truths that we need to hear over and over and over. They're not meant to just fill up our heads. They're meant to transform our hearts. The life of victory is real, and it's available for anyone who would pursue it God's way. Thanks for sticking with us for these last 20 weeks as we've gone through this series. We do want to remind you, we have biblical counseling programs available for men and women in sexual sin, as well as for hurting wives. I know that some of you listening deeply desire freedom, and everything that you've tried hasn't helped. Let me ask you, what could be more important than knowing for sure that you're walking with God in the victory he has provided. If you're interested in any of our counseling programs, just visit purelifeministries.org. If you have any questions or comments about this series, please email us at purityforlife at purelifeministries.org. That's it for this week. From all of us here at Pure Life Ministries, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.